Great. Uh, I am... I was really excited to be asked to, to speak on this, this topic, um, as I kind of shared a little bit last week on the sofa. Uh, if you missed it, I am particularly passionate about how we go about doing this thing called Christianity, how we, uh, how we live out our faith, uh, what it means to be part of God's renewal of creation. So this evening, I'm going to start by asking you to cast your mind back, to think about when you were at school. Uh, I'm pretty sure that my slightly tenuous analogy works whatever decade you were born in. Um, But for me, when I was in school, I have a really distinct memory of people defining themselves by what group they were in, Uh, whether you were on the football team, uh, whether you were in kind of the, the academically gifted group or uh, nerds, uh, whether you were part of the in crowd, which also tended to be the football team at my school. How did you dress when it was a, a mufti day, a charity day? How did you dress? Were you someone uh, that wore baggy jeans? Uh, were you someone that uh, came in and would have been called a goth or a chav, or if you go back further in time a little bit, were you a mod, a punk, a rocker? We humans like to define ourselves by what group we are in, by our common interests, and we will do what we need to do to fit in with that group. Nowadays, we tend to see it in some of uh, the nationalistic tendencies, Are you a Remainer or a Lever? Uh, Across the ocean, are you uh, a Democrat or a Republican? We define ourselves by what music we listen to, what our job is, what our hobbies are, what we devote our time and attention to. We might say that we are Christians. We might mark ourselves out as Christians. But what does that mean? Do our actions line up with that? Is Christianity just something that we are or something that we do? Is it defined by how we dress? What music we listen to? Or is it something more? What does living out our Christianity look like? Is it going to church on a Sunday? Is it attending a midweek group? Is it attending prayer meetings? Do you need to read your Bible every single day? Do you need to pray continually? Should you be performing miracles? Right now, I realize that I've actually posed a lot of questions and uh, we probably only have about 15 or so minutes for me to try and answer them, and they're not small topics. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a look at the story so far. We're going to look at the early church and then take some time to think about discipleship. As Thea said, Pippa spoke this morning, and Pippa kind of spoke on the the Holy Spirit side of the story. So I am going to briefly mention the Holy Spirit here and there, but I do want you to know that Everything I'm about to say needs the Holy Spirit. 
what we do and how we approach discipleship must be animated, motivated, and full of the Holy Spirit if it has a hope of being successful. So we're going to start off with the story so far. We've had creation. We've had the fall. Uh, we've kind of looked a little bit at, at Israel and some of the prophecies. And we spent a good chunk of time on Jesus, which is really important. And we find ourselves at Pentecost when the Spirit arrives to help, guide, and counsel the early church. This part is our link to the Ezekiel prophecy, where God's breath, his spirit, is filling his people so that they can go out in order to do his kingdom work. They're there to do the work of expanding his kingdom, his kingdom army, you might call them. And we're just going to take a moment to look at the word used to describe the early church or the word they used to describe themselves. And that's the Greek word ekklesia. It comes from two words, uh, ek, which means out of or from, and kaleo, which is the verb to call. So literally the church referred to themselves as the called out ones. We might not think much of this now, or we might put our own spin on it, but in the first century, this would have been loaded language. Some of you might be familiar with the first way that that term was used. It was often associated with the kind of city council or town council. It was the people that made decisions on behalf of the community. The second use for that word was actually applied to soldiers. So when the emperor of Rome wanted to expand the empire, wanted to take and conquer new lands, he would call out soldiers and send them to the borders so that they could fight and take new land. Some of you might note that we're back to the army imagery in Ezekiel. So here we have the church claiming to be a new kind of authority, a new army sent to expand God's kingdom. This was dangerous and could get you killed. So we kind of find ourselves as the church in the fourth chapter of the story. As I said, we had creation, we had the fall and all of its consequences. Jesus brings redemption and we're in renewal. But too often we actually start reading the story at chapter two and end at chapter three. We miss out chapter one where God calls his creation good where we are created in the image of God and creation is good. We fast forward to the bit where there's sin and it all went wrong. And then we stop at the point where Jesus died, was raised from the dead, and we are redeemed. But actually, we need to remember that we live in renewal. We, the church, are there to expand God's kingdom. We're there to, to preach the gospel, to preach the good news that God is renewing all things. 
And this brings us to a little bit of uh, what is called eschatology, uh, which is quite simply, it's a study of the end times. And a wrong understanding of what happens at the end times can be, can be damaging. It can prevent us from living out what God has called us to do. I'm hoping that this will get unpacked a little bit more next week as we look at uh, kind of revelation and we move towards the, the end of the story. But very simply, we need to think about the fact that when we die, we don't go and live amongst the clouds singing, what a beautiful name it is, 24-7, 365 for eternity. I may have caricatured that belief slightly, but it has consequences. It can lead to us not caring for our planet, believing that, well, we might as well use fossil fuels. doesn't matter if we damage the ozone layer and the ice caps melt, because eventually we're all going to go and float amongst the clouds playing harps. We forget that God is in the business of renewal. He renews our lives so that we can play a part in renewing creation. I like to look at the Lord's Prayer when it comes to this. And the line in there is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Not your will be done on earth so that we can get to heaven. So, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for discipleship? How do we go about being the church in a way that expands the kingdom, that plays its part in the renewal of creation? Again, indulge me a little. I'm going to give a little bit of history um, and background to what I'm about to say. So in the first century, if you were a young Jewish male. Um, sorry, ladies, they were a patriarchal society, um, but don't worry, Jesus and the early church challenged that, so um, don't ignore what I have to say. It does apply to you too. They would have gone through two tiers of an education system. They would have first off learnt the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. They would have learned that off by heart. Next, in tier two, they would have learned the rest of the scriptures, what we might call the Old Testament, plus or minus some books. And they'd engage in a question and answer style of learning where questions would be answered with more questions, like Jesus did in the Gospels. At the end of this time, they would either go back to their family and learn the family trade, becoming a fisherman, a carpenter, a merchant. Or they would have approached a rabbi and asked if they could become their disciple. They'd be subjected to a grueling interview process. And if they passed, they would be sent off from their community with the saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this meant being so close to the rabbi that the dust kicked up by their sandals would stick to the disciple as well as the rabbi's teaching. So in order to be kingdom people, 
in order to be Jesus' disciples, we need to be close enough that Jesus' dust would stick to us. In order to do what Jesus did, we must become like Jesus. And in order to do that, we must be with Jesus. It's a lot harder than it sounds. We often try to be or do without becoming like. We either spend time with Jesus, but we're not transformed and we don't outwork the time spent with him, or we go about doing and we miss Jesus completely. Just like how we can tend to lop off chapters one and chapter four, we come up with phrases like, we're human beings, not human doings. Now, this holds an element of truth because we can become so busy that we miss out on spending time with Jesus. But it also can cause us to miss out on a whole chunk of our calling. We get so focused on being with Jesus that we forget that we're called to be his hands and feet. His presence should motivate us to get up and go. Instead, we need to learn what the message version calls the unforced rhythms of grace. We can't simply change by thinking about changing. That's kind of a remnant of the Enlightenment and Greek philosophy. An example from my life is uh, I've definitely noticed that if I go to a supermarket and I'm hungry, I might have a list. I might have what we need in the house. But if I'm hungry, more often than not, a couple of extra packets of crisps, maybe some chocolate, a baguette, some cheese, might find their way into the trolley. And all of a sudden, I've spent more money than I intended to, and I've bought more food than I needed to. We are rational beings, but reason can quite easily be overcome by desire. So we need to learn how to immerse ourselves in imitation and practice of Jesus. And the only way to do that is by spending time with him, time in his presence, time with his word. It's how we learn to walk, talk, ride a bike. It's how people learn their profession. By observing, by imitating, by having a go. When we practice the rhythms of grace, we find that both our hearts and our minds will realign themselves to God. And the spirit can work in and through us to help us live out God's big story. Before we take a look at what some things are that we can do, I just want to quickly go over four things that we can get focused on that actually can skew our focus. And they can cause discipleship to become out of focus. At different times, we'll fall into one or more of these categories. And none of these things are wrong per se, but if we focus on them too heavily, they will 
mislead us. So number one is that we think being like Jesus is the same as knowing more stuff about Jesus. I love studying. I uh, did my degree. I'm hoping to do a master's in theology. I love studying it. But just studying the Bible and what people have said about the Bible won't turn me into Jesus on its own. Attending more courses where I can learn more won't help me become more like Jesus on its own. Knowledge alone doesn't change us. We need to proclaim Jesus as Lord and live out his teachings. Number two is that we think being like Jesus is the same as becoming a better person. We all probably know this one. Drink less, swear less, shout at your kids less. Become a better person. That's what being a disciple is. Again, all these things are not bad things. But is becoming a better person the goal of discipleship or part of the journey? If we focus too much on that moral improvement, we actually miss out on the model of discipleship that Jesus offers. And we become legalistic, having a rule, list of rules of do's and don'ts. Thirdly, we think that being like Jesus is the same as doing good things in the world, making poverty history, offsetting our carbon footprint. Are we an eco-church? How many vulnerable people have we served this week? Have we given out enough food bank vouchers? Are all these things part of the kingdom of God? Yes, absolutely. But is the kingdom of God more than a program of social outreach? Yes, yes, yes. We cannot save the world through our good works. And that's the lie that we can tell ourselves. Only God can save and he has chosen to do so through Jesus. Again, our good deeds should flow out of a life that is being transformed by Jesus, by being with him and becoming like him. The final thing that can be an issue is thinking that discipleship is the same as having a program to grow your church. I want to be really careful and clear here. I think that a healthy church will grow and that a part of that growth will be numerical. If you disagree with me, I really encourage you to uh, first go and speak to Pete Hughes and then secondly, uh, go and speak with Bishop Graham Tomlin. Uh, I'm not saying that all churches that grow are healthy because sometimes they can be so focused on growth, numerical growth, that they miss 
the transformation that comes through real discipleship. But numerical growth should be a part of it. Church growth should be the natural consequence of the hard work of loving people through all parts of life, through mentoring them in spiritual disciplines and training people to live out their faith. In the passage that Thea just read, the Lord added to their number daily. And I think it's really important. The Lord added to their number. It wasn't because the early church had a five-step program to buy better lights and a louder sound system and to have the right people up the front so that more people would come in the doors. They were living out their faith day in, day out. And because of their faithfulness, God added to their number. So our goal isn't to have the biggest church, but to play our part in redeeming lives, renewing our towns and cities, our communities, and restoring creation. And I think that last sentence is key to grasp. We're not disciples so that we can secure a place in heaven. We are disciples for the sake of the whole world. It's so that in becoming like Jesus and doing the stuff that he did, we change the world around us so that it is restored and renewed. God is in the business of renewal. So how do we go about doing that? How do we practice these unforced rhythms of grace? How do we live out our part in the story? We breathe out and we breathe in. We breathe out and we breathe in. As we do this, we shape our lives around the life of Jesus. And breathing out and breathing in can refer to many things. It can refer to the spiritual disciplines. We breathe out, we say no to something, something that distracts or moves us away from Jesus. This can include fasting, silence, solitude, simplicity. But the goal of breathing out is not emptiness. That's why we breathe in. When we pray, when we worship, when we gather together in fellowship, whatever form that takes, we're filling ourselves with things that draw us closer to God. We're engaging in practices that help us to be with God. We're replacing aspects of our surrounding culture with practices that Jesus modeled. When we breathe out, we are dying to self. When we breathe in, we rise with Christ. There are lots of resources out there that can help you um, kind of figure out what spiritual practices work for you. I personally have really enjoyed listening to uh, the Patterns podcast, which is something that Pete Hughes' church have put together. Um, and it talks about things like practicing joy as, alongside Bible study, alongside prayer, practicing gratitude, There's a song um, that 
was released a few years ago by Hillsong United. Um, and the first two verses uh, say this. My life is a light for your cause. My will laid aside for your call and reserved are the depths of my heart only for you. I'm caught in the rhythms of grace. They overcome all of my ways, realigning each step every day to live for your glory. When we immerse ourselves in the story of God, when we learn the narrative shape of that story to live out in the world around us, when we follow the shape of Jesus' life, his being and doing should become our being and do it. We do it by living in the story so that we can live it out. We do it by encouraging each other. We do it by being a community that comes together to better follow Jesus. Discipleship is about living in a way that draws us closer to Jesus so that we can be transformed and energized by the Spirit. And then when we go out into the world, we can expand the kingdom in the way that we live. Being a Christian doesn't mean cutting ourselves off from the world. It doesn't mean that our jobs are bad. What it does mean is that as we become more like Jesus and do what he did, we'll begin to reshape, to renew, to restore our world, to restore a profession that we have been called to, to restore and redeem people around us, bringing them to know Jesus. Kingdom living is about so much more than wearing the right clothes, having the right haircut, saying and doing the right things. Not the clothes and the haircut, but saying and doing the right things might be the outcomes of that life lived in step with Jesus as a part of God's big story. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you didn't give up on your creation and that you don't give up on us. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, not only to redeem us, to restore us, to forgive us, but to give us someone that we can model our lives on. We thank you for your spirit that guides, that strengthens us so that we can live out the lives that you've called us to. And I pray right now for each and every person that hears this,
I pray that you would draw them closer to you and that you would be inspiring them in the ways that they can be Jesus in their workplaces, in their schools, colleges, universities, at home, as they go about their day-to-day life, that they would realign every step that they take every day and that we might see this world transformed for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.